The following is a discussion about the positive and negative effects of high or low protein diets on mTOR signaling and cardiovascular risk. This is the Biology Brief episode 11. Today we're gonna to talk about a paper that was recently published in Nature Metabolism called Identification of a Leucine-Mediated Threshold Effect Governing Macrophage, mTOR Signaling, and Cardiovascular Risk. So this was, this was recently published, I guess if you say recently. It was actually received in 2022, but it didn't come into print until January of this year. So that was a long review. There's a lot of reasons why papers don't get published right away. And, and uh, I think part of the reason why it might be kind of controversial. So uh, it's a solid paper, but um, eventually it... You think this one was controversial? I think as we go through the discussion, it's, uh, it's a controversial area. So um, not surprising, this paper is also controversial in that yeah. area. Also, I think that it does kind of buck most of the trends that are going on these days in that high-protein diets are what you need to have in order to stay healthy. I know people are saying that the recommended daily amount of protein, which is 0.8 grams per kilogram, is too low. You need to go 1.2. You need to go 1.6. This paper refutes some of those assertions and provides a pretty solid justification. Granted, there's limitations to the studies. However, there is a clinical component to the studies as well that kind of corroborated their data. Um, so to set some structure for the discussion, the paper centers around high protein diets and how that affects mTOR signaling within the body and how that also downstream affects cardiovascular risk um, through athero atherosclerosis. It's very hard for me to say. Um, Just say AS. AS, is that acceptable? Okay, so now we will abbreviate athero, uh, we'll, we'll say AS. And the thing about AS is 25% of all cause mortality is a result of AS. So it's not an insignificant thing to just, it's not something you just ignore. You have to take this paper very seriously. So you want to kind of introduce it, kind of talk about what, what, sure. what the data says? Yeah, so it, it's a very interesting paper. Kylie's exactly right. Cardiovascular disease, they're in a um, death race with cancer to see which one will top out in the next couple of years. But cardiovascular disease, especially in Western society, is, is really, really high. You also mentioned mTOR. So mTOR is interesting. We actually did a video on that for the company, mTOR and, and aging. mTOR is a very important complex of proteins that senses and regulates senses the environment and regulates cell division and cell growth. So it's a, it's a really important protein found in all cells, found in, in, in most species, found in yeast. So it's sort of a sensor to say, hey, listen, there's a lot of food available, a lot of protein available. Let's get busy. Let's make more cells. Let's grow. Uh, and when it's uh, not sensing that, it, it sort of shuts down. And, and you generally want to inhibit mTOR in order to increase longevity. One of the things that we kind of alluded to and eventually we'll, we'll probably do a more detailed discussion on is there's a compound called rapamycin that's been shown to actually increase longevity in a range of, of different species, including in mice and most probably in people, but the lifespan studies are still ongoing. But it's a potent inhibitor of, of mTOR. And to be clear, there's two forms of mTOR. One is called TORC1, one is called 
torque two, rapamycin inhibits torque one. So it's, it shuts down uh, mTOR. The other thing about mTOR that's important is, as we've alluded to, the hallmarks of aging. mTOR hits six of the hallmarks of aging and not in a good way. Right. So targeting it really has an impact, we think, on longevity. And we'll get into some of the details of, of what mTOR. And don't get me wrong, you need mTOR t- to live because if, if you don't eat, you're going to die. So as, as most things we've discussed so far in our podcast, as we talked about drugs and compounds and natural products, there is a balance to everything. So it's all defined by the dose. So the last thing you want to do is go out and not eat protein, but one of the things that we're going to emphasize is too much of anything is probably not good, and that includes protein consumption. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point to make early on, and one we made in the last podcast pretty effectively, I think, in talking about vitamin D, is that dose drives everything. And I think that's kind of a recurring theme that we continue to hit on. You know, water is toxic at doses. Protein, I'm sure it's toxic at certain doses, but... In this case, it's more of what is the threshold that you hit in order to begin mTOR signaling and increasing the risk of CVD or cardiovascular disease as a result of what seems like the mTOR signaling. It it seems like in this paper that that is the beginning of the cascade that starts cardiovascular disease. I, I know that wasn't necessarily proven in this paper. I think that's one of the hypotheses that was that's hard to like fully filter out. However, you can definitely see like the results of some of the biomarkers is increased as a result of this. So that threshold is excess of 25 grams per meal. One of the gripes I have about this paper is it doesn't necessarily say, oh, well, what happens if you eat 10 meals a day? Granted, it does say that greater than 22% of your dietary energy requirements. So if you eat protein, if your protein intake is greater than 22% of your dietary energy requirements as defined by total calories, then you begin mTOR signaling, which is seemingly deleterious. And, and that's, that's, that's a major take-home of the paper, and we're going to get into the details how mTOR signaling might influence AS. Uh, but to take one step back. So if you think about it, what's a, for you, and everybody's different, and, and I know there's a recommended dietary amount of calories. I think it's 2,000, but, you know, if you weigh 90 pounds, that's probably too much. And if you mm-hmm. weigh 200 pounds, that would be starvation diet for you. So 2,000 is recommended, but 22% is, is, is what percent of that? That's I don't know. How many calories is in a gram of protein? One gram has four calories. So 100 grams has 400. And 400 calories is only 20% of your calories in a diet. 100 grams a day is much higher than, than the recommended 0.8 grams per kilogram so what happens in this scenario to a bodybuilder who is trying to bulk up and is consuming four thousand calories a day that means that that person could in theory have 250 grams of protein before they pass this threshold does that hold up well and that's interesting you bring that up so the the studies are very limited um somebody went in and actually went into obituaries of of papers in in cities around the world looking for 
bodybuilders that died prematurely and came up with, I think, a total of, of 12 where they could get the actual PATH report. And, and many of these bodybuilders died from cardiovascular disease. Now, of course, bodybuilders do things other than eat a lot of protein. Some of them do, uh, you know, androgens and steroids, basically, and that definitely has a, a right. toxic effect on your heart. But one of the things that you can sort of piece out of that is, yes, they consumed an excess of protein. So there is no data that says an excess. And let's, again, we, we don't want to leave the audience with an idea that this is what you exactly should take. Everybody's different. If you're, if you're consuming 3,000 calories a day because you're an athlete, we're not recommending you drop down to 1,500. Yeah, wither away. Right. And, but if you're sitting around not doing a lot, we're not suggesting go out and drink five insurers you know, in a row. So it's, those are some of the things you need to tease out. But, but I, I think you're right. You brought up a point that 0.8 um, is the threshold right now in terms of grams per uh, kilogram. Um, that, I think, is, is a little low. I think probably 1.2 is going to be more of a normal range. In fact, most people, one of the limitations of the study is if you look at um, how they parcel out uh, percentages of the population taking too much protein, it really comes down to about 25%. Uh, so we'll go back into the study in a minute, but you know, again, the study is is w- probably one of the better ones implicating mTOR in the process of atherosclerosis or AS, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that in detail too. But what's really interesting to me is all proteins aren't created equal, and so what we're talking about when we're saying too much protein might be bad, kind of alluding to primarily animal proteins, mm-hmm. and we're going to come down to specifics in a minute about what that might mean. But for those of you who are doing supplements and bodybuilders do supplements, many of the supplements, powdery supplements, are made out of whey protein from milk. Whey protein is an animal-based product, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it is high in one of these constituents we're going to allude to in a minute as one of the threshold markers for inducing mTOR and AS. Well, I mean, so it's leucine. It's leucine. It's yeah. an, what is leucine? It's an amino acid. How many amino acids are there? This is the quiz for Kyle. I have no idea. 20. 20. 20. Okay. So how many amino acids are said to be essential? The top half of them. It's close. About eight are said to be essential. Yeah. An essential meaning that your body can't make it. You have to consume it. Uh, in, Otherwise. In, right. But there is a threshold for which it becomes bad, according to this paper. So everybody keep this in, keep in mind again. So when we're talking about protein... And the paper really is, in fact, the title talks about the identification of a leucine-mediated threshold. We're really coming down, and, and, and again, we, it's one paper, but it really points out that a single amino acid, of all amino acids, the other 19, it is the key one that, that seems to drive mTOR activation leading, le- leading to AS. What percent of whey protein is leucine? 10%. So, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out whey protein is really high in leucine. If I take 100 grams and a 200 grams a day of whey protein in my shake, is that a good thing? Probably not if you're not a bodybuilder. But a, but again, this right. is what we, we're going to talk about today. Or if you want to gain weight and capacity, I mean, you have to increase your caloric intake. You have to increase your protein intake. And maybe short term, it's not necessarily a bad thing. That's 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 the other thing. The, the studies, as we're going to get into, one of the limitations of the study is it was a, a very small trial. The trial actually consisted of people that were basically overweight Mm -hmm. and the trial didn't run for six months or so to actually demonstrate an impact in formation of fatty streaks in your arteries one of the signs of since we're talking about limitations they also the the model the mouse model they used 
was an atherosclerotic mouse model. So they're going to develop AS as a result of not doing any time, <laughs> right? Yes, that's ex- that's exactly right. So it's it's not it's a well recommended, well studied translational model for understanding human AS. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a genetic deficiency in APOE. Therefore, the the ability to build up fat and and these fatty streaks. We're going to talk about. In fact, what let's talk about that now. Atherosclerosis. Um, what is what do you think the common person in the public thinks that means? A common person. Yeah. I don't have a clue. Well, it, it obviously it doesn't occur in your lymph system. It occurs in the circulation. Right. And it's, it's a vascular it's, disease. And, in, yeah. and primarily the, the formation of these fatty, fatty acid, lipid-based plaques that form in your arteries. Think of your arteries as little pipes. And think of what happens if you get a hair wad in there or a, you know, a rust buildup. The, the flow through that pipe is, is much, yeah, much yeah. smaller. And the, the, the force on the water it has to go through is much higher. Therefore, your heart has to pump that much harder, etc. When that plug gets big enough and fatty enough and waxy enough, it breaks off. And when it breaks off, it can go to small arteries especially in your heart, and that can be detrimental. And you have a ischemic reaction, and you basically have myocardial infarct, which means a heart attack. Right. So these little placky things that build up, they contain lipid and other, other things. But what's interesting is one of the culprits is an immune cell in your body called a monocyte that when activated becomes a macrophage. Macrophages are very important in terms of the innate immune system. They go around and look for bacteria, they gobble them up. In this case, they're looking inside the, just under the layer of the endothelial cells, they're looking for high levels of lipids and other dying cells and they gobble them up. The problem is when mTOR is activated and they gobble the lipids up, they engorge themselves. They become what are called foam cells Mm -hmm. and these are macrophages filled with lipids that basically can't do anything else they end up dying so when mTOR is activated they do this naturally yes because mTOR activation leads to what is called lipogenesis which means you make more fat so in in addition to those cells taking up fat particles and trying to get rid of them uh, they're also induced to make more fat and they get engorged and they can't function they can't move and what happens next the body responds to them as a foreign invader, and they get sort of covered over with collagen. How quickly does that happen in, in, after mTOR activation? Well, it can happen in terms of the foam cell. Again, keep in mind that we're talking about mice and in vitro yeah, cells. Yeah, yeah. It can happen very quickly in, in, uh, in an in vitro setting. I think the thing we have to keep in mind, and again, it's not a limitation in this paper per se, but we're looking at mice that develop these atherosclerotic plaques much faster than in humans. We're also looking at cells uh, in a culture that when stimulated with leucine to activate mTOR, they form these lipid-laden cells very quickly, much faster than you would see in a human. Mm-hmm. So we're extrapolating. We're assuming that that's the same pathway that happens in a human. Imagine a human eating whey protein uh, way too high with a lot of leucine, activating mTOR and forming these um, lipid-laden uh, macrophages forming these plaques. Does that happen in humans? We don't know, but the study suggests it could over a period of time. Right. No, I mean, I, I know one thing they looked at was was the circulating macrophages, I think, in yep. one one hour, at one hour and three hours. Yes, and the mTOR was already activated. It was already activated. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like, it, obviously making a big assumption here, but it seems like, you know, that is both an acute 
reaction to an over intake of protein that could have a buildup of effects over time. If you, if your body, if mTOR a- activates and you have more macrophages that are foam cells every day, then it seems as though you would begin to build up these plaques and build up the blockages and then move your way towards AS. Now, does that take place in a week, a year, a decade, you know, two decades? Uh, it, it, uh, the formation of, of atherosclerotic plaques obviously takes a fairly long period of time. Um, so again, we're extrapolating mice are great because they only live three years, and so everything's accelerated, including right. plaque formation. One of the things that's interesting, um, again, since leucine seems to be the culprit, if you look at the essential amino acids, a couple of them are called branched-chain amino acids. Mm-hmm. That means they have branched carbonaceous side chains, and leucine is one, valine, isoleucine. They're commonly others. known as BCAAs. BCAAs, yeah. and then if you look, go to a food supplement store and you're thinking of pumping, uh, building some muscle, BCAAs are considered, hey, that's what you want to do because they're the ones that are thought to increase protein synthesis is what you need for muscle mass. Mm-hmm. This paper points out, and it doesn't exclude them, especially in humans, but it points out that leucine seems to be the one that's most capable of causing this change, which is, which is very interesting because if you look at leucine and isoleucine, they differ by one methyl group, which is a carbon and three hydrogens. That's it. And yet leucine seems to be the player, and the other hydrophobic branched-chain amino acids do not. And Again, by player, you mean the one that activates mTOR The one that MTOR seems signaling. to really activate yeah. mTOR. So yeah. Yeah. if you believe all the things in, in the paper, one suggestion would be, and of course this is not really practical, is buy, buy, buy food with very low levels of leucine, which of course would be a vegetarian diet. And if you want to supplement it, go ahead and do that. But if you really worry about leucine, there are ways around it. Consume less whey protein, less, and unfortunately uh, most proteins, the animal side, uh, omnivore meat side, that includes chicken, fish, you know, it's not just like, I'll give up steak and eat fish. No, fish has a lot of leucine, too, So, um, which is, you know, kind of problematic if you don't want to just eat plants. But So, so this is, it seems like there's a, a conundrum here in that. Conundrum, I like that word. And that how do, you, how do you find the balance between protein intake, caloric intake, caloric restriction, leucine intake? It seems like a, a fool's errand that is really hard to to navigate i mean because no matter what you know you're you're not going to find what's best for you unless you're constantly testing you know your circulating macrophages or or anything else unless you're really tracking calories down to or, or protein intake and where you're getting it all from down to like the the very very small level um what what could you do well, you know, you brought up fool's ear, and that, that's very interesting. And it, and it says, uh, as we've kind of stated already, that there's a, there's a balance to everything. There's a limitation. Fortunately, the window is not that narrow. It's like, well, if I ate two more leucine molecules, I'm really out to lunch. No, that's not true. There's a range. And again, we're talking about probably 0.8 grams a kilogram, which is less than 0.4 grams um, per, um, per pound. Per pound. Yeah. Um, that's probably way too low, especially as you get older. One of the things that happens as you get older is you lose up to 3% muscle mass, pro, uh, the, the muscle cells themselves each year. And one of the things that old people 
like me, fortunately, hasn't happened a lot, is you walk across the street and you fall over because mm-hmm. your muscle mass is weak. So right. for those, and there's evidence that, in fact, um, older people that consume increased proteins over what they're used to, including meat proteins, it has a beneficial effect on the cardiovascular system. So as you brought up conundrum, it, it's a conundrum in the sense of life is not simple, biology is complex. But again, we're talk, talking about thresholds and, and intervals. So if you maintain your body weight and you, you're, as you get older and maybe you increase your protein a little bit, but you're within the one, 1.2 grams per kilogram, I think you're gonna be okay. If you don't just eat steak all the time and occasionally you eat beans, I, I think you're gonna be okay. So even though this paper, you know, I imagine some people, well, we look, read it, and most people aren't gonna go ahead and read the science paper, although they should. Most people are going to probably think, oh, my God, i got to stop eating fish and steak, and i got to stop. No, don't stop eating protein. You will not live without protein. You have protein. to. Like, yeah, that's not, it's not an advocation for no protein intake. It's an advocation for selective protein intake and knowing where it's coming from. Now, are there any protein sources that, are, that have lower amounts of leucine? Does vegetable, is vegetable protein Vegetable proteins soy- in general, and, and that's a good question. I, I didn't look it up, but percentage of leucine in vegetable proteins are actually a lot a lot lower so um and again keep in mind that when we're talking about percent of calories they said the magic number is what 22 percent 22 percent that's still a lot of protein if you're eating 2,000 calories a day 22 percent that's over four that's what what uh, over 100 grams of protein a day so think about it this way what how much if you had a chicken breast how, how many grams of protein in that i don't know like say 30 yeah about 30 right so you know how many people eat more than three large chicken breasts a day for meals i don't know i don't or if you have a a protein shake what's in there remember the magic number was also 25 grams per meal so it seems like if you're eating two chicken breasts for lunch because you're bulking like you're going to cross that threshold at lunch and maybe over the next three hours you could have increased mTOR that, that's exactly uh, right. And, and again, you brought up conundrums. So one of the conundrums are people are doing these semi-starvation diets or fasting diets where they go 18 hours, let's say, without eating anything, and then they gorge themselves for six hours. I don't know if that's the smartest thing to do, especially over six hours if you're trying to get 90 grams of protein in. So I think mm-hmm. the paper tends more towards a balance where maybe you should have two or three meals a day, but don't sack out and eat you know, two chicken breast or, you know, a double cheeseburger or whatever um, if, per meal. Mm-hmm. So I think it, think of it this way too. What mTOR does, so as your body takes in food and your cells, you know, say, hey, great, let's start growing and stuff, you, you get proteins that are misfolded and, and proteins that should be inactivated, organelles that stop working. There's a process called autophagy that gets rid of all those things. mTOR activation stops that process. Mm-hmm. So not only do you make new proteins, you build up gunk. Right. And so the idea is, you know, you, you don't want to gorge yourself all day, 24 hours straight, but you do want a period where you don't eat, where your body has a chance to get, and your brain too, has a chance to get rid of this, this, these malformed proteins and dysfunctional organelles. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, uh, it, it's, it's never easy. So one of the interesting graphs here, and like maybe you could um, speak to this, but one of, one of the interesting graphs on it's page 369, figure 7, subfigure C. The mice that consume the low-protein diet weighed more at the end of the, of the study period than the mice that consume the high-protein diet. That, that's correct. Um, 
and and the answer I don't know I don't remember what the authors actually said about that. In fact, if you look at the the ones that gained the most weight were the ones on a low protein diet. Right. And and these were balanced, I believe, for calories. So I think the caloric intake was equivalent. Yeah, exactly. Simply the percentage. So that, exactly. So that's kind of interesting. It is. Uh, but but think about it this way. So if the calories are similar, that means for the the low protein they had to take in probably more fat. And more okay. sugar. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so more fat and more, more sugar, carbohydrates, yeah. more carbohydrates, you're uh-huh. probably going to gain some weight. But what's interesting, and for people who, who actually look at this figure and they think, translate this to humans, it's like, well, he just said, this guy just said that as long as I maintain my weight, I'm good. Okay. Well, the high protein diet, you'll probably maintain your weight. Uh, or your weight, but if you look at the actually figure D, where it shows the formation of these AS plaques in your arteries, that's really very bad, and that's what leads to heart attacks. Right. So again, um, it's simple weight maintenance is important, but it's really about not just simply how many calories you take in a day. Obviously, if you take in more than you use, you're going to gain weight. You take in less, you'll, you'll lose weight. It's also about the composition. And so keep in mind the three main food groups, the fast sugars, and the proteins, that there's a good balance for that. So if you're going to get 20% protein, that doesn't mean you can have 80% fat. doesn't right. mean you can have 80% glucose. And, and there's all kinds of diets out there. As you know, there's a keto diet where you don't eat any carbohydrates at all, and then there's a high fat, there's a paleo diet. All of these have strengths and weaknesses, but really it comes down to maintain a sensible diet. And it doesn't mean you need a calculator and need to write down everything you eat all the time. It simply means be cognizant of that. Read your labels when you're at the store. Right. They're very informative. You know, fast foods have way too much in the way of fats. Um, you know, processed foods, the same thing. So, I think it also means that diet is very personal based on where you currently are. If you are at risk for AS, consume less protein. Yeah. If you're I, not I at risk for true. AS, but you have low muscle mass, consume more protein. If you're overweight, consume less calories. If you're underweight, consume more calories. I mean, it, those are basic maths to do Basic there. math that, unfortunately, I think many in this country, uh, following that analogy, are very poor in math. So it's it, you're absolutely right. It's it's a... It, it's not, it, it doesn't take a lot to, to really think about what you're eating. And everybody falls and you're watching your favorite Netflix, you know, binging over and over and over again. And you said, yeah, I'm just going to have a p- couple of potato chips. Well, two bags later. Exactly. So you just got to be co- cognizant of what you're doing. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to forbid yourself from anything that is potentially toxic at some level. Just don't do it five days in a row. Right. So just be conscious over a period of time. You know, watch your weight. Go see a doctor once a year. Keep your cholesterol low, your, your LDLs low, things like that. Well, and one of the things here, too, that I, I may have mentioned earlier, I know we talked about these are diseased mice. They're going to develop AS anyway. The other thing that's interesting is that the low-protein diet did not prevent them from developing AS. It's not a prevention. It's not even a cure. It's kind of a prevention if you already are going to have it. It it, it prolongs the effects. I think that's exactly right. So it's not simply that if you uh, don't consume uh, too much protein, you're not going to get it. There's a lot of factors, smoking, Mm -hmm. um, fat levels, and things like that. So lots of things contribute. This is just one of the things now, and and I think it's an important paper because the fad now in society, if you if you go online now and you look at protein intake, yeah, it's starting to skyrocket. And and, and people, I guess, are suddenly thinking, you know, if I just take in 150 grams a day of protein, I'll be a bodybuilder. No, you won't. 
Yeah, protein no. doesn't make you muscle man. You got to work out. Absolutely. So I yeah. mean, it, it's it's a you know again uh, the marketing in our society is such that people. I don't want to say they fall prey, but they sort of don't dig in deep enough to understand what they're getting into. And this paper is kind of a red flag for that. So who thought protein, high levels of protein would be, fats are easy, like, oh, yeah, fats are bad. Oh, sugar, I all, yeah, processed sugar, right. don't. But protein, yeah, I'm just going to eat 100% protein. No. Well, it definitely seems like papers along these lines come out once a decade or so and say, you know, uh, well, lo- we don't want fats. That's why everything's low fat. There's a low fat Oreos. There's low fat everything. It's Dr. Atkins. And then the next thing is, you know, no carbs and now low protein. Like, are we ever going to figure it out or are we just going to do our best to be as healthy as possible based on how we feel? You know, it's 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 interesting. But if, if you look at the common denominator, which is perhaps 20 percent of your calories should be protein and you should keep your sugar levels perhaps under 150 grams a day and fats, good fats. Remember, there's different kind of fats. Sure. Olive oil is a good fat. Um, you know, meat fat is not a good fat. So if you keep your calories proportional and balanced and you take in the appropriate amount so you don't gain weight, I think that is really the sweet spot. And these, these fads and these diets run the gamut. Will you lose a lot of weight? Well, probably. But historically, what happens is you regain it. As soon as you stop it at all, you regain it back because your body basically monitors all that. So just eat sensibly. Eat a balanced diet. Um, and I think you'll, you know, you'll be maximizing your chances of living into your 80s. Right. And if you are, you know, highly active and you need to consume more protein in order to maintain your current physique as a result of being active, you may not be a bodybuilder, you may be a marathon runner, you have to consume a lot of, a lot of calories, a lot of protein in order to just maintain any semblance of muscle mass. The activity you're doing most likely offsets the bad effects I think that's of the yeah. increased mTOR activation, or it may completely offset it, right? Remember, this study was done in high BMI individuals yep. and diseased mice. So while it's an indicator, it is by no means proof positive that this is bad long-term. Yes, um, you can extrapolate true. from it. You can extrapolate from it. And I think you can say, you know, if you're going to go on a three, six-month break, maybe cut your protein intake down. But if you need it in order to maintain your physique, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's you know, it comes down to um, most things in life um, in terms of what you want to do is, is it doesn't mean you never go extreme, but you always want to settle back down on moderation in, in most things that you do, and that includes the diet. So, again, you know, people are attracted to fads and magic pills and magic overnight cures, and that and that's not the way to do you want to You want to build muscle mass consume a little more protein but actually do resistance training you know sit on a couch watch tv and help hope your biceps (laughs) will grow that's not going to happen i mean if you can do that then more power to you then you start a company and and we'll invest in it (laughs) absolutely no i think that this is uh this is an interesting paper i want to uh call out the uh, title one more time and the author so if anybody wants to read it for themselves then they can um so it's called identification of a leucine mediated Threshold effect governing macrophage mTOR signaling and cardiovascular risk. Um, it's by um, senior author Rizani, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and so you can you can look that up. I think it's it's worth the read. It's not that dense. I mean, if you read the the abstract and kind of the discussion at the end, you can get a really good feel for what the paper is about. But you know, this is this is nutrition in our current age, and it's advanced science. They can look at biomarkers and and circulating proteins and everything else 
at a level that hasn't been able to be done before. It's new ideas, and it's uh, going to advance the state of the art eventually. I don't know what we're going to have to figure out or to, in order to, to get to the end of the perfect diet. Here's a pill that has everything, every nutrient you need, the perfect amount of calories for your BMI. I mean, that would be great. I think it would also take a lot of the spice of life away uh, and that food's amazing. But, you know, it, it's it's good to be educated on, on the topics and the latest research. And so, you know, have you have any other takeaways? No, I, I mean, again, uh, the authors did a good job. It's in a great journal. Nature Metabolism is a right. top tier journal. And, and remember, for those of who don't know about the, the, the approach uh, scientists take is when you gather this data up, you, you write a manuscript and you submit it to a journal and they will have other scientists review it. It's called peer review and they'll go through it. And as scientists, they'll point out this data doesn't make sense. You need to have a control for this. So this is not just stuff, people sitting around in the kitchen making up stuff and publishing it, which unfortunately seems to happen a lot in normal media where people just make stuff up and they don't back it. So this is a science paper where people, you know, if you believe scientists actually want the truth and and it's peer reviewed, it's as close as you're going to get. But again, as we mentioned, there's limitations and caveats. So read the paper, you know, take it to heart. Don't drastically change your lifestyle based on one thing. Right. Absolutely. All right. So briefly, too, we always talk about uh, one of the products that we make. So Jim and I are with a company called Oleolive. Oleolive was started in 2018 to kind of find and develop new biotechnology technologies. Some of those are drugs. Others are dietary supplements. One of those dietary supplements is called Ologen. Ologen is the first dietary supplement to contain oleocanthal, which is found in very small quantities in extra virgin olive oil. And the data on it is pretty astounding. That's one of the reasons we chased it for as long as we did. It kind of took us almost five years from initial discovery of the technology to actual commercialization. And it's been a it's been a fun ride. So Ologen can be found at oleocanthal.co. Um, it's an interesting product, and uh, there's lots of information there about it. We also sell it on Amazon if you want to look it up there. But with that, I think we'll sign off. And until uh, next time, until next ya. time. All right, thanks, See you guys. Bye.